0: Welcome to Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman, the show that delayed the start of this recording so we could talk about cake shows on TV for a couple minutes. I'm Jackson Heyman, and joining me today is another returning guest, um, Nick Cordonier, also known as Chonk. How are you doing, Chonk? Also known as Ace of Cakes. But no, you are not the Ace of Cakes. Uh, Duff Goldman is the Ace of Cakes. Then who is the Ace of Cakes? But who is the Cake Boss, specifically? Who is the Cake Boss, then? He's from yeah. Jersey, though. He's well, from New Jersey. Well, you you know, at the end of the show, Cake Boss, he um, worked with... Is there Dr. a narrative? He... There's, like, a narrative? <laughs> no, I know he, he worked... cuts
1: off his hand.
0: <laughs> at the end of cake boss he goes to doctor strange and they they cast a spell to make everyone forget who cake forget who
1: cake boss is yeah Yeah. have you seen all those me those tweets that are like is this how the mcu remembers it and it's tony stark's funeral but then it's just him (laughs) with the mask on
0: yeah and and it's like all the all the memes of like mj and ned um looking at their phone looking at the pictures and it's like who is this guy who is this guy I like to think that they look at the fo- the
1: photos and like he's just not there.
0: Oh, so it's like a back to the future thing.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. But then there's like a big empty space where he should have been. Yeah. You know what like, I mean?
0: Like why did we take these pictures like this? Why exactly. Did, why, why, that's why, what I like. Why did we frame these shots? But the world knows who Spider-Man is.
1: But, or the world still knows of Spider-Man. Yeah, the world knows of Spider-Man, but they, they don't just know don't who... know of Peter Parker. Yes, and no one knows who Peter Parker is because it's as if he was just erased. Because at the end, he's taking the
0: GED because all of his school records got erased. Yes, where are his bank accounts? How can he afford the shitty little apartment in New York? I think he just had some cash on him. <laughs> I don't
1: think he has a bank account. That's a good point. Wait, how are you going to get? How, you how got, are you going to get you how, yeah, how, are how are you gonna, gonna get a, get a lease, lease if you don't exist? They can't run a background check on you. <laughs> yeah, I would have loved at the very end if they're like, "What's your name?" and he's
0: like, "Ben Riley." I hoped. I hoped. That's yeah. what I said. I you was like, "Oh, that. his name's gonna. He's gonna change his name to Ben, and it's gonna be like, oh, it's gonna be this." <laughs> if no, you hadn't figured
1: just, fig- just now what it was,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. If you hadn't figured it out already, we are talking Spider Man. Um, we are a month post Spider-Man No Way Home. How, where did the time go? I don't, I, I don't know. And we are talking Spider-Man life story, um, written in 2019 by Chip Zdarsky, pencils by Mark Bagley, colors by Frank DeMarda, inks by Andrew Hennessy, and letters by Travis Lanham.
1: So I got, a, I got a question for you right off the bat. Uh, would you say by mark bagley it's like sketches by mark bagley the pencils pencils But
0: so that's that's probably like the
1: outline of everything right uh, like he's the one well, who
0: actually draws well so in in the comics world like the penciler does all like the main sketches and then the inker comes in and like inks it and shades it and then shades the, it. Okay. and then the colorist comes in and puts the pop of color in there
1: okay that makes sense cuz i was confused what like Colorist, I assume, adds the color. But then Inkist, I was like, well, what, what do they do?
0: Oh, they so they, they, make they, they do, like, shading. And they stuff. make it bold. They make it dynamic. Oh, yeah. Okay. Little comics lesson for you. Something that I've been trying to put more into. And we did it right off the bat. Um, Here we go. So, Spider-Man Life Story. This is a series that came out from March 2019 to August 2019. And the basic premise is it follows the life and times of Peter Parker as he ages in real time from the 1960s to the 2010s.
1: This is correct.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I think you couldn't pick a better team to do a story like this right off the bat, because you have uh, Chip Zdarsky, who is this Canadian artist and writer, um... He's been working in the industry for a couple decades now, really rose to prominence with uh, his and Matt Fraction's series, uh, Sex Criminals. If uh, if anyone has not heard of Sex Criminals, it is a comic series about a couple that discovers they can um, stop time when they have sex and when they orgasm specifically. And they use and this power. Marvel
1: saw that and went,
0: he'll be perfect for Hawkeye. well yes um and they use this power to rob banks specifically zadarsky goes and writes a spectacular spider-man for a while over at marvel and then he gets this and now he's writing one of my favorite daredevil series of all time he's a very talented writer i did not know he was currently writing daredevil it's we talk about this in our daredevil episode from about a month ago but it's basically... His whole series is about Daredevil basically taking ca- accountability for all his actions, especially in the wake of, like, after killing a man on the mm. job. Mm. It's wild. And then um, Mark Bagley, um, artist and penciler since the 80s. Um, he helped create Carnage with writer David Michelinie. Um, he was the artist on stories like Maximum Carnage, The Clone Saga. And he... It was responsible for the look of the ultimate Spider-Man series from the 2000s. So, mm-hmm. like, you have two talented creators here who love Spider-Man, who know Spider-Man really well. And I think that that really cements this book as, like, a love letter to Spider-Man and to Peter Parker specifically.
1: Yeah, I agree. So, was Chip Zdarsky writing Spider-Man before he got Spider-Man Life Story?
0: It looks I believe like he
1: was writing for The Spectacular Spider-Man like. Yeah, he
0: was right he was writing Spa- Spectacular Spider-Man and there's an issue of that that I've been wanting to read for a long time called My Dinner with Jonah and mm-hmm. it's just Peter Parker and J. Jonah Jameson just having dinner and like the tensions that erupt from that. Hmm. I think I've actually heard of that that issue before. I, I I think you may have heard it from me because I've been talking about this for a long time. Perhaps. Now, and... Just... Yeah, go on. Oh, yeah. This, this story starts out... Um, well, Zdarsky pitched it originally as like a series that follows the entire Marvel Universe as it ages in real time. Hmm. But they decided to scale it back, focus just on Spider-Man, and do a couple like detours to the rest of the Marvel universe.
1: Mhm. And we kind of see some of that too cuz like we do see other characters yeah throughout it. And then now it seems life story is going to become a serial of sorts. Oh, absolutely
0: because, because, they've because they've got
1: Fantastic Four life story, which I think is
0: still running. I don't think it's finished final yet. Final issue I believe comes out this month. Oh. Um I picked up the I have been reading this monthly. This is one of the few comics I'm sticking with regularly because it's just such an interesting take on the Fantastic 4 and um it's it's great. Um you get a lot of just like real world conflict. Um you get a divorce in issue number 2. Um mm-hmm. I'm not going to say who, but you can probably assume does it overlap with some, because I'm sure
1: we'll get into this, but there are parts of Spider-Man Life Story where we interact with characters of the Fantastic
0: Four. Are those canon in Fantastic Four Life Story? I'm not sure. I have okay. to like go back and read both and see like where line, where everything lines up, because, mm-hmm. uh, spoilers for Fantastic Four Life Story, uh, Johnny dies in the mm-hmm. 1980s, and... Mm-hmm um, Franklin becomes, like, the fourth member of the four by the end of the book.
1: I haven't read it. (laughs) I still gotta read it. Yeah. That's interesting, though. Because I know in Spider-Man Life Story, we see, like, Reed Richards shows up in the 70s, and he's pretty prominent in the 70s portion of the book, and then I think he comes back in, like, the 80s or 90s. yeah. And they do mention,
0: they do mention that, um, Sue leaves Reed for Namor, in mm-hmm. Spider-Man Life Story, which does happen in Fantastic Four Life Story. Okay. Um, Before we get into the actual, like, discussion of Spider-Man Life Story, I have a question for you, Chonk. Mm-hmm. Is there a character you would like to see given this same Life Story treatment?
1: That's really... In- that's an interesting question. I probably should have thought of this ahead of time. But I think... I think two characters, and they're probably basic answers that I think would... Benefit from this life story treatment are Wolverine and Captain America, but it's interesting because they're both characters that like don't necessarily age, and we've also seen them in these in these like time periods already. So like a life story doesn't exactly work for them because their life story would basically be what we've seen for them already where there are these characters that don't age and just do stuff in the sixties and the seventies and the eighties. Oh yeah. But I, st- I still think it would be really interesting to kind of give them the life story treatment and just follow them through the decades as other things happen around them. Absolutely. Like, like they I deal th- with the Vietnam war and they deal with, you know, I think th- you could, these real life events.
0: Yeah. I think you could talk, uh, you could do a lot with captain America specifically that we sort of get into in this with a lot of like the Vietnam war and Mm -hmm. other later conflicts. And, but, like, my personal pick, I would like to see, I'd like to see Thor, given this treatment. Because I think that would be a very interesting take, especially with, like, his own mythos and a lot of the Marvel Cosmic stuff, and Uh sort of see, like, how an Asgardian would react to, like, the changing times, and so and give it like an even more of like a culture shock each issue sure now
1: what how would that work because i'm not familiar with like comic book thor but is he always on earth or is he like like how would you deal with these real life world events
0: with a cosmic character i wish i could i wish i could tell you sure I, thor is one of those like characters i want to learn a lot more about especially in like his marvel his, his marvel appearances Mm-hmm. and like you get a lot of like varying origins for him sure. you get you get a lot of like thor the god thor the alien um you get a couple points where thor is human dr donald blake who taps yeah. his cane which transforms into mjolnir and becomes thor mm-hmm. and i i would be very interested to see like how they try to um meld all of these different different origins for thor that would and be interesting. See how, and see, and I think you could do a lot with like Loki and Odin and all these other supporting characters in mm-hmm. his universe. That would
1: be really interesting. I know another character I just thought of too that I think I want to negate my old answers and go with this one is that I would love to see like a Magneto life story. Oh my god. I think that would work really, oh really my well. God. Especially because Magneto's character is so like ingrained already in real world events specifically world war Two and the holocaust so i think like following him throughout the throughout the decades would be really really fascinating okay
0: i'm taking mine back i also want to see magneto life story we because, almost like, got I, it
1: back when they were doing like the movies x-men origins and stuff that wouldn't
0: be a life story i like... mean i would i i think what i think what we got in x-men first class is great but <laughs> yeah I want to see more of that because I love X-Men First Class. I think yeah. it's... it's the best X-Men movie. It is the best X-Men besides Men movie. Besides
1: Dark Phoenix. <laughs> besides the New Mutants.
0: Oh my god, I... <laughs> besides the movie that got delayed six times.
1: Morbius has officially been delayed more times than the New Mutants.
0: I... Okay. Before we get into (laughs) Spider-Man, before we get into Spider-Man, I don't think Morbius exists. I don't think this movie exists. I think they shot the trailers Uh, and then did nothing else, and they're just going to keep delaying this movie. Do you know why I think
1: it's been delayed? Why? I think it's been delayed because following the feedback and, like, the reception to Spider-Man No Way Home, they are reshooting parts of it
0: yes okay to
1: make it align more with spider-man no way home and i don't want to get into too many spoilers for spider-man no way home but i think like they're gonna bring in some characters that maybe we see in that movie and they're gonna kind of tie it into this whole multiverse thing Uh, they're doing because i uh, think they made they shot it universe agnostic mm -hmm. because like we see references to toby spider-man we see references to tom holland spider-man and I think following No Way Home, they are going back and they are reshooting elements to make it definitively part of one universe. But like, what universe that is, I don't know.
0: Why the fuck is Michael Keaton
1: there? That's I my... don't think. I don't think he's playing Vulture. I don't think it's Vulture. I think he's just some random guy. I yeah. I think
0: he's a guy that they yep. just were like. That well, this comes back to my theory that they didn't actually shoot this movie. Mm-hmm. That. They just brought Michael Keaton into a room, and he was like, "So, what do you think, Doc?" And yep. and that and that's all they did with him. I I one hundred percent
1: think it's a bait and switch. I do not think he is Vulture. I think uh, he's just yeah. A I Michael think it's uh, just
0: kidding. He's Doctor Mike. Yep. Doctor Michael Morbius. Yep. Doctor Michael Morbius at your service. Ugh. I I don't want to care about Morbius. I I don't. want Yeah, c- and we're gonna have
1: to if like toby Maguire's in it or like so you know what i
0: mean if, if if the theories are true and this is like all these like sony movies are like in andrew's universe mm-hmm. i don't want to have to care about them but because i love i am one of the few people who really likes um the the two andrew garfield spider-man like the second one has its flaws obviously yeah a, a lot of flaws but um, there are moments of pure brilliance in those movies. I'm specifically talking about the, um, the scene where Andrew um, climbs over like the, the fence to the river. And he's like, uh, just one guy. Just one uh, Spider-Man. Or woman. I don't know. We don't know. For sure.
1: <laughs> I actually had never seen that movie. And before I saw Spider-Man No Way Home, a friend of mine and I... Uh, like, binged all the Spider-Man movies we hadn't seen, so I watched Far From Home, and then I watched Amazing Spider-Man 2, and I'd never seen it before, and I, I actually kind of liked it. Like, don't get me wrong, it was, like... It was kind of dog shit, <laughs> but, like, I, I was like, this movie is, like, shit on so much. This... I, like, I thought it was not as bad as ever. It's like, not okay, What am I trying to say? No, I, like... I'm trying to say it is awful. Like it is a bad movie, yeah, okay. but like
0: I still really enjoyed myself with it. Those movies I think you can have a lot of fun with specifically yeah. because of the buck wild performances that you get. Yeah. Because I I'm specifically looking at like Jamie Foxx because I I think they took what for No Way Home, I think they took what he did in Amazing Spider-Man 2 and like dialed that up. Mm-hmm. because he was probably one of my favorite parts of no way home because i yeah and i
1: even like because i hate when people are like oh he sucks in amazing spider-man 2 i thought he was pretty good like yeah he's goofy at the beginning but then like he turns bad and he's like all cool and stuff i thought that was so funny and like i it's... i enjoyed it and then i thought uh, when like he's the bad guy i thought he was honest to god and menacing i didn't like dane dehan I, I
0: i don't like <laughs> Who's dane that? De-
1: is that he, the guy he... who plays
0: harry osborne <laughs> yeah That's hilarious. Star of um, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, Dane DeHaan. Have
1: you you seen those tweets that are like, it's Dane DeHaan's version of Harry Osborn, and it says he needed to be cured more than anybody? (laughs) Which is true. It's so
0: funny. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Uh, Spider-Man life story. Yeah, Um, let's get into it. So issue one kicks off in the 60s. Um, mm-hmm. Peter Parker's been Spider-Man for, like, four years at this point. He's going to college. The Vietnam War is starting. Mm-hmm. And you get a lot of, like, college Spider-Man. And this, and just, like, all the stuff that you get where he's trying to, like, live a double life, go to school, pay his bills, all of that. I love it. I, I love, like, the world it throws us into. Yeah, I, that that first issue really...
1: It really hits because it's it's kind of like classic Spider-Man that you know of, where it's like double life young guy trying to balance all these relationships. And it is a very fun world that they immediately throw us into. and I like that they throw us into like his year four, where we don't have to deal with the you know the bs of like an origin story and we're kind of just thrust into the action
0: it it throws you in knowing knowing that you know everything about this yeah. and is like, hey, we're just going to give you all the hits. We are going to mm-hmm. do everything. It, it's basically like a band. It's like the, the Stones or the Beatles playing the hits. And it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, everything that's coming. Uh, we're going to give a little fun spin on it all, though.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And then it like throws in those twists where it's like they're saying goodbye to Flash Thompson because Flash Thompson is right. It's Flash, right? Yeah, it's Flash. He's he's joining the he's going to fight in the Vietnam War. And you, it's revealed that, like, the reason why he is going to fight... Because Peter Parker's like, oh, Flash, you're such an idiot. Why are you doing this? And Flash is like, oh, I'm actually really inspired by Spider-Man. Like, if Spider-Man can risk his life every day in the streets of New York, I can go to Vietnam and fight for my country. Yeah. And that's kind of, like, a really interesting, like, kind of, I don't know, switch
0: up on it. It, it sets up, like, the big question of this issue. Um, should superheroes go to Vietnam? Should Mm -hmm. they have, like, this responsibility to go fight for the country? Because you see, um, Tony Stark is in Vietnam helping out as Iron Man, and there's, like, a big debate of, like, will Captain America go to Nam? Will Spider-Man go to Vietnam? Will they step up and fight? Mm
1: -hmm. Was that something in the comics of the 60s? Like, were the
0: heroes going to Vietnam? I don't think so, because, like, I know the 60s was very, like, neutered and censored and, like... sure. A lot of, and, like, they didn't get into, like, super big social issues until, like, the 70s. Uh
2: Uh-huh.
0: And I know there was a lot of stuff in, like, World War II, because you have, like, all these characters created specifically to punch Nazis. Mm -hmm. But then, I don't know how much they did, like, with Vietnam. I'd imagine maybe not a ton, just because the Vietnam,
1: unlike World War II, like, the Vietnam War wasn't, wasn't hugely supported here. Yeah. So it, it kind of makes sense that they would maybe shy away from it in the comics of the time. But it is interesting to, like, see retroactively, like, these superheroes going to Vietnam and there's this huge debate of, over whether Captain America should go. And then at the end of the issue, you find out that Captain America did go to Vietnam, but he's actually there to protect the, uh, the Vietnamese people. Like, he's actually fighting against the U.S. military because he doesn't agree with what they're doing over there, which is he, really,
0: really cool. It's... Captain America is kind of like a strong supporting character throughout this, mm-hmm. but he only really shows up in like this and the two thousands issue. Yeah, and... yeah. Him and Iron Man kind of like, you know, they're they're in the background the whole yeah. time. And like you, with all of that, you get like background check-ins to like the rest of the Marvel universe, but it's really Peter's story, especially in this issue, because uh, you see. Um, he is full-on in a relationship with Gwen at this point. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's the classic, like, love square of Peter Parker, Harry Osborn, Gwen Stacy, Mary Jane Watson. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're coupled up already. And it's, a, it's such a nice, like, picture that they bring you in. Bring you into.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, like you said, it's kind of like quintessential Spider-Man. And then at the end of the issue... Uh, Mary, Gwen Stacy finds out that he's Spider-Man. Yeah, and then it kind of jumps to the seventies with this whole, you know, that their relationship will never be the same, or like mm-hmm. everything's going to change for both of them moving into the seventies. It's like a huge status quo status quo shift. Exactly. At, and now I'm I'm checking to
0: see what actually
1: happens in the seventies.
0: Um, we do get our first of multiple villains to show up throughout this series. Um, with Norman Osborn, we get the Green Goblin in this issue. And it is like incredible characterization of Norman. Like it's exactly what you want with these characters. Yeah, it's like very menacing Norman.
1: He's kind of in and out. He doesn't really have a motive. Like he's kind of just, you know, the crazy Green Goblin that we know of. The crazy manipulative, you know,
0: psychopathic.
1: Yeah. uh Green
0: Goblin. And you the like a running joke in this issue is that Norman fucking hates his son. Like Yeah. like cuz cause, cause Harry is like a conscientious conscientious objector. Um he's totally against the war. He's totally against like following in his father's footsteps and like you see like that Norman taking a shine to Peter because he's way he's smarter. He knows what he's doing and like Norman's like hey you want to be my son and what's he say he says yes and then it just he, he says yes and then story's over um yep. Peter Parker CEO of Oscorp. no a new well, spider go- spider goblin and then at the end of issue one
1: two Norman gets his you know he gets amnesia or oh like, yeah he loses a fight and he doesn't remember that he's green goblin but then Peter still tips off the police and has him arrested. So at the end of issue one, we have this huge status quo change of Flash Thompson's in Vietnam. Gwen Stacy knows that Peter Spider-Man and Norman Osborn is behind bars for the foreseeable
0: future. It tells like a it it tells a story that probably in modern comics would have taken like five or six issues to tell mm-hmm. in. Like twenty-two pages, and the pacing is great. It, like it's it, it's really fast-paced, yeah. And but it but I don't think that detracts from the story in any way because like you get everything you need to know, and mm-hmm. you get all these crazy plot developments, and then it sets up this new big status quo change for Peter and Gwen and their relationship. Mm-hmm. I
1: think there are moments, specifically like a little later in the book where, like, the pace maybe goes a little too fast. But Mm -hmm. to the book's point, because it's already playing with these notions of Spider-Man that we already know, I think if it were to go any slower, like, you know, we would get a little bored or we'd be like, well, we know these elements already. So I think it's fast-paced, you know, it's fast-paced is okay because the narrative is just the, you know, the greatest hits. Yeah. So I I think in that sense, you know, you can forgive it for being so
0: fast-paced at times. Absolutely. And so we jump from the 60s to uh, the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And we find out at the beginning of this issue, Flash is dead. Flash mm-hmm. died in Nam. Like, yeah. And Peter and his now wife, Gwen Stacy, are together. And they are working pretty successful jobs in the science industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Peter working at the Baxter building with uh, Reed Richards and Otto Octavius. Yeah. So like this is our first glimpse of Doc Ock, not as a villain, but as like a working man. A reformed though, right? Like he yeah. used to be a villain and now he's yes. reformed. Okay. Uh, he, he is he is no longer a villain specifically because he started dating Peter's aunt. Which is something that does happen in the comics. Yes. And, you know, I honestly, like, I think that's such an interesting take anytime it's brought into it. Like, Mm -hmm. because, like, you see Peter, like, it's tense. Like, you, is this guy just reformed? Or is he doing a game? Or what's, what's Doc Ock's game here?
1: I didn't know this, but there's, so if you're familiar with the Superior Spider-Man storyline... Peter Parker dies, and Doc Ock takes over Peter's body. Like, Doc Ock's consciousness goes into Peter Parker's body. But I, I was doing some research today, and I didn't know this, but, like, in that storyline, Peter Parker's conscious, like, although he's dead, is in the back of Otto's mind. Yeah, it's still, like... And he, he like, sees Otto and Aunt May, like, their romantic relationship. And it's, like, very... Like, I had no idea this happened. I didn't know very, this part. It's, it's very scarring to him, apparently. Oh, my God! Yeah. It's so so strange. But I, I do agree that, like, it is interesting when they bring in that element that Doc Ock is, you know, married to Ann And something else I like about this 70s chapter is that, or this issue, is that they bring in... They start to bring in elements of the Spider-Man lore that are, like, not very well thought of. In that, I'm talking about the Clone Saga. Oh, they bring in the Clone Saga. The Clone Saga is considered, like, one of the worst Spider-Man storylines. But, like, it plays a huge role in this chapter, a little bit of the 80s, or this chapter of the 90s and the
0: 2000s. Yeah. And... With the Clone Saga, they introduce the main villain of this chapter of the story, um, Miles Warren, who um, starts out as a professor for Peter and Gwen, later becomes Gwen's boss at this pharmaceutical company, and he is a man who is uh, obsessed with clones and cloning, basically. Mm-hmm. And, well, his super ide- supervillain identity is the Jackal. Um, do you know what his costume looks like? I I just looked it up now because I was like, "Ooh, is Miles Warren?" I thought he was just made up for the comic. No, no, he is a he is a recurring villain in the Spider-Man universe. I I see his costume. Are you looking at his costume right now? Uh, how yeah, do but he you? He just how looks like the Green Goblin. <laughs> he looks like a furry Green Goblin. Yeah. Okay, so my question is, what about this costume screams the Jackal to you? <laughs> um.
1: Yeah, I, what really screams the jackal to me is when
0: um, the uh, the
1: actress who plays uh, the White House press secretary on The West Wing starts singing the jackal. <laughs> That's a little West Wing reference to you, you know. All that your is listeners a, at home, okay? Deep cut West Wing. Deep re- cut to the West
0: Wing. No, nothing uh, about the screams the jackal. <laughs> yeah, he is. It's like a like a a, a, a bodysuit of like green fur. And, like, huge, like, bat ears and claws. And he's one of those characters that, like, doesn't get used a lot, but was the main villain of both clone sagas. Because his whole deal is he is a scientist who has perfected human cloning. Okay. And so yet he decides to run around looking like a a, a green man bat, basically. Yeah
1: that's hilarious i i love that he looks just like the green goblin though like he, I think that's he looks just so, so much funny. like
0: the green goblin
1: that's so funny but um something you find out in this chapter or this issue is that harry is it harry osborne shows up as the hobgoblin
0: uh the black goblin i the think black he's goblin. called yeah you're right
1: and he shows up to their you know miles warren's office with gwen stacy or lab with gwen stacy and peter and like blows it all up basically and or i don't know why he attacks them
0: does i don't remember why
1: does he attack? i think it's like one of norman's
0: last wishes to like destroy this cloning project basically Hmm. okay well he
1: shows up does all that and then it's revealed that um miles warren had clones of norman and peter and gwen And he's, you know, they're all like, oh, this is so strange. But Peter manages to save the clone of himself. But the rest of the clones explode or get destroyed. And Miles Warren starts freaking out. And it's revealed that he actually, the Gwen Stacy that we know right now is the clone. And Miles Warren took the real Gwen Stacy and put her in like cryo sleep. So he could, uh, have a romantic relationship with her it's in the creepy. future it's I, creepy. It's very hell. Creepy. yeah
0: it's like it's this creepy old man who has known this woman since college yeah. and and offered her a job working mm-hmm. for him and cloned her and wants to have a relationship with her and i don't like it it's it's, it's very it's very creepy, strange but
1: it's effective And then well and then we basically learn that the Gwen that Peter has been married to for who knows how long is is a clone.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So this issue ends with Peter takes his clone, and I think the clone now dons the name Ben Riley. Yes. And basically lets the clone of himself and the Gwen Stacy clone go live together. And then like go off and do their own thing, like you guys can have your own lives. And then I think at the end of this chapter, this issue, Peter goes to Mary Jane,
0: I think, or like MJ comes to him and something like that. Yeah, and I
1: watched the uh, comics explained recap of this this <laughs> morning because i i read the I read the issue like months ago.
0: I, well, yeah, it's it's crazy, and there's a subplot that we forgot to mention in this issue where. Um, Peter goes to studio 54 for a little bit and oh, yeah. you find out how much Peter hates disco yeah. and it's, it's great. Like, cause you get, this is the era of Peter that you don't really see. You get Peter in his thirties, just sort of being done with everything. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, Oh, I don't want to stay out that late. I don't want to go listen to disco. Yeah. He's this like thirties.
1: Peter is definitely a little more cynical. Yeah, and I feel like it's a Peter that we don't see that much. Like we don't see like a thirty-year-old Peter Parker. Well, I guess we
0: don't see an older Peter Parker that much. Yeah, especially like a a thirty-year-old, forty-year-old Peter. You don't you don't see him like married and done with things a lot. Like you see Peter Parker the loving father a lot. You see Peter Parker the successful like early thirties, late twenties businessman or science teacher or whatever. Mm -hmm. But he you don't see him already like with a life like this and just not wanting to do all this crazy shit he used to do in his 20s
1: and then at the end his life comes falling apart he loses his wife he's kind of all alone again and then you know he kind of rekindles his relationship friend you know relationship with Mary Jane but then jump forward to the 3rd issue which is the 80s they're married and the issue actually begins with Mary Jane giving birth to their twins. Yeah. While Peter, I, this must have been a because this is Secret Wars. At this, this is point. Secret Wars. Yes. So and then simultaneously, Peter is off on Battle World or whatever, engaging in the Secret Wars storyline where he infamously gets his black suit.
0: Yes, I want to talk about like the Secret Wars sequence for a second because mm-hmm. it's get, just
1: a splash page.
0: It's the splash page of like all these heroes and villains fighting and it's really cool but then you look a little closer and like they're all so old like yeah. it's it's so funny and so jarring to sort of take look at like Reed Richards stretched out in contu- in a lot of contusions with like full white hair and a beard like he's been at this for 30 years it makes you wonder why any of these characters are still doing this. Now it's funny you
1: say that because I'm like looking at the splash page and the only one I can really tell that's old is Reed Richards. And that's funny too because I'll get to this, but like in the sixties issue we see or I'll just say it now. In the sixties issue we see Captain America and Iron Man, right? But then in the twenty in the two thousands issue we see Captain America and Iron Man and to me they don't look that much older. Like like, when we see them again in the 2000s, Peter looks older than Iron Man. And yeah. then I was confused because I was like, wait, was Iron Man the
0: same age? Is Iron Man supposed to be the same stupid age as Peter Parker? This doesn't make any sense. Here, here's my theory behind why Tony Stark and Captain America sort of stay the same age throughout this. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Rogers has that super soldier serum in his blood. So, like, he is basically immortal. Yeah, and i think tony sense. stark just got a lot of plastic surgery no
1: that makes sense too
0: but like reading it i was so confused yeah because i was like wait why does it seem like they're not aging like it's just peter who is. it's it's just like peter and reed and you also see like um you see logan you see wolverine like he looks rough um yeah you see luke cage at one point you see luke the Cage full ass beard mm-hmm. um I sort of like, though, how they sort of, how they differentiate, like, the ages of these characters. Uh, In a couple of different places, you see Nightcrawler and some of the other, like, 70s X-Men at one point. They look a bit younger than Reed Richards and Peter Parker. And Mm -hmm. then you flash forward to the 2000s, you see, like, Cloak and Dagger. And, like, and they're younger than Steve and Luke. And, like, it's sort of, like they they introduce them at the age they would have been in like the first appear their first appearance in comics yeah. and sort of progress from there which i can yeah. which i really like
1: i like that too because it's not just every character was born in the 60s and then every character ages at the same rate cuz you do you know characters that were introduced in the 90s we see get introduced in the 90s so on and so yeah. forth like you just said but throughout the 80s issue we then see we kind of do the black suit saga so like peter is getting older he's getting uh you know he's getting slower you know he's just not as young as he could be Mm -hmm. and what he likes about the black suit is the black suit like helps him like makes him faster makes him stronger it's so you kind of see where he feels codependent on the suit because the the
0: suit kind of helps him where he's starting to you know starting to get
1: weaker in his old age
0: it's treated like a like a performance enhancing drug or some sort exactly. of yeah cuz like he knows that it's an alien and that is that it's slowly taking over his mind mm. but he doesn't care because he has this duty this responsibility to protect people and help people and throughout this issue everyone's trying to help him realize that like he's a father now he has twins and he can't uh, keep doing this forever. and that's interesting too because that's
1: something that will specifically come back into play in like the 90s and the 2000s. but it's this issue of that like he can't stay away. like with like the the with great power comes great responsibility line is almost like a curse to him. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see that played throughout because like even when he needs to for like his family or himself, he will not. Like, he's got too much responsibility. He needs to be Spider-Man. Yeah. So, in this issue, we are introduced to then Craven the Hunter. And Craven the Hunter, like, tries to kill Spider-Man and ends up actually using the black suit at one point to kill Spider-Man. And then he says something like, I'm doing you a favor. I see you get older.
0: I I'm giving you, to... you
1: a warrior's exit, basically. Yeah, exactly. Before you get too old and, like, too decrepit or whatever. Yeah. I want to give you a warrior's exit. But it doesn't work. Peter ends up fighting him off without the black suit and kind of
0: reclaiming his morality in mm-hmm. in a way I want to talk about like something that happens in this issue that sort of is my biggest problem with this with the series as a whole mm-hmm. and that's um it does it, it basically with the presence of superheroes in Vietnam it sets up this altered timeline and this, twisted series of events that go on and you see a world where the vietnam war is still going on in like 1977 then that escalates into a cold war that isn't so cold anymore Mm anymore and you see in the 80s you see while all the heroes are off fighting secret fighting the secret wars uh russia uh sends out some nukes and nukes a town in Pennsylvania. I forgot that happened. And, like, you see all these things that are just like, what is what does any of this have to do with Spider-Man? Like, I I get that, like, his company is helping clean up, like, the radiation and stuff, but, like, I don't want to see this tragedy of, like, the Vision trying to stop a nuke and having to watch all these people die of like radioactive fallout
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's it is strange because they, they're trying to build the lore of the world or they're trying to world build but then they're doing it in like these little episodic chunks that we don't really get to sit with mm-hmm. and they're just like these really interesting moments and then we see that again where like in the 2000s we see it's revealed that like peter was at was in new york during september 11th yeah it's which is like really heavy and it's 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 very strange to see because like i know sometimes in the comics they kind of like they touch on 9 11 specifically the marvel comics touch on 9 11 there's
0: a a there's a famous issue that was published like a couple months after september 11th where like all the heroes in New York and even a lot of the villains are Dr.
1: Doom. Yeah.
0: yeah. There's a, there's a surprising image of Dr. Doom at ground zero. And it's, it's a great issue. It is a really powerful moment. And like, you, you really feel that like all these characters are New Yorkers and Mm -hmm. you see that immensely in how they react to it. But like, it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy when like comics like this try to tie into real world tragedies like that.
1: Yeah, which we do. Like we'll see when we get to the two thousands issue or
0: so. But that's that's the eighties. Anything else about the eighties issue you want to add? Um, I know we're. <laughs> I do like the argument that um, Mary Jane and Peter have, while like their twins are crying, and like you just see like the the wahs lettered all over it, and. Uh huh. It's it's very reminiscent of I I can't believe this is the second week in a row that this has come up. It's very reminiscent of Marriage Story. Why, jeez, I jeez Louise, it's I don't know I it's I not to be that kind of person who compares every every scene of like a couple having an extreme argument to Marriage Story, but Mm. like that is my that is my bar
1: benchmark. that's that's my bar arguing. for, like,
0: heavy character arguments between married couples now. That's hilarious.
1: Is Marriage <laughs> Story. Well, technically, this came out before Marriage Story, so maybe Marriage Story stole it from, you know... Maybe Marriage Story stole it from Spider-Man Life Story.
0: You <laughs> can, guys can't can I...
1: see. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Um... So... <laughs> As as of this moment, um, Chonk has changed his background on the Zoom call to um, <laughs> to the to a scene from Merritt's Story* that is kind of an inside joke between the two of us, where um, Adam Driver is singing uh, "Being Alive" from *Company*, um, which uh, fun fact about me, my favorite musical of all time, but um, is *Company*. Yeah, I love *Company*.
1: Oh, it's not specifically because of
0: this song. Not this scene, but because of this saw of being alive, it's not how to succeed in business without really trying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, quick side tangent Jackson and I saw a friend of ours in a production of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, and they were doing the original 1960s script for it. So, like, the director came out and was like, Hey, the show's a little dated, like, it can be pretty sexist, yada yada yada. And it was, but then I went home and I was like, cause that was my first time I ever seeing How to Succeed in Business. And I went home and I was like, you know, they made that 2011 revival with Daniel Radcliffe. I want to listen to it and see the differences. And uh, there's no differences. It, it is just as sexist and just as dated. And I think oh, that is hilarious.
0: <laughs> that it's quick musical theater side tangent. Um, It's one of those musicals that, like, they never get... They never even... No one ever tries to update it to make it modern. Because how can you, when so much of that is rooted in 60s casual sexism and just everything being so dated? Yeah, Um, I suppose you're right. Fun fact about me, a little piece of Jackson Heyman lore... Um, I was in a production of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying in high school, and the character I played had to sing a song called, um, and I quote, A secretary is not a toy. Um, And it's just that singing that song was the most uncomfortable (laughs) I've ever felt. I didn't think we'd get to this talking about yeah, spider-man we, we're going on such a tangent but um, we can jackson's jump ahead to the 90s jackson's on sabbatical honey jackson's <laughs> on sabbatical honey we're gonna talk we can... about our Ch- Chuck. what was the what was the craziest thing you ever had to do in high school theater uh
1: i don't know man let me i don't know I'm well
0: you were think. in that um unauthorized production of dr horrible sing-along blog. i was
1: yeah that's probably the craziest one of the craziest but like i was in a community theaters production of dr horrible sing-along blog and it was illegal like it was a very illegal production of it like we didn't have the rights yada 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 anything like that my high school that because i went to like i was a part of this like creative and performing arts program in high school so we did like we did like seven shows a year But, like, we did really weird shows. Like, we did Clue, the musical. We did The Boys Next Door. We did Aida. We put... Ooh, what what I do think the craziest thing is, is that I was in a production of Aida, and the director did this weird thing where, like, he made a lot of the Egyptian... I I don't know if they are supposed to be Egyptian characters, but, like, you know where I'm getting at this, Jackson. But, like, he tried to, like... Because Aida's about, like, two tribes, kind of, like... One is a, a conqueror's, and, like, they're trying to colonize a land. And he tried to do it to where, like, the colonizers were all played by white actors. But the Nubians were all played by black actors. But then he had me playing the father of Aida. Like, he then had me playing the king of Nubia... Like, it, it didn't make any sense. Like, it was really, really strange.
0: Well, that's the, say, that's the same energy as um, one of the moms in my high school theater department pitching, like, being like, why don't you just do Hairspray um, to a group of all-white teenagers? Um, and she was Haar like, you can fun. make it work. Hairspray
1: is fun. We were, I went to a, a school that had, like, a very large black population at it. So it was not uncommon for local community theaters to call our school and be like, hey, we're doing a production of Aida or we're doing a production of hairspray. Can you can you maybe send us some actors of color to be in it? Like that that phone call happened a lot.
0: Oh my God.
1: But we can but oh one last thing I do wanna say about this, because this was fun too. Not fun, but horrifying. I was, I auditioned for the Illinois high school theater, all state production of rent. And I I got a callback. So I went to the callback and the callback, as I'm sure you can imagine was like 95% white actors. But if you're familiar with rent at all, some roles are historically played by black actors. And a lot of the actors and actresses were asking out loud to the director during callbacks, will you be colorblind casting this role? Like trying to better their chances at getting a role that historically goes to a black, a black actor. Yeesh. and that was that was great. That was hilarious, <laughs> and then it was even more hilarious for the director to say yes.
0: <laughs> so Spider Man,
1: yes, yeah, so Spider Man,
0: Spider Man, um, issue four brings us into the nineties, um, everyone's favorite decade, um, the yep. decade we were both born in. Uh, yep. My favorite decade, nineties uh, kids. Uh, I was born yeah, in nineteen ninety nine. I can't. I can't say <laughs> that. I was, I was born in ninety eight. <laughs> we are. We are born on the edge of it. We are yes. Technically, neither millennials nor Gen Z. This is true. Um, it starts out with Doc Ock just rampaging in Chicago, and it's a good thing to know that once Aunt May dies, he just the switch flips and he just yeah. goes back to it's like Aunt May was the glue holding him together. Yeah, um, we also see uh, Peter is in his fifties at this point, and yeah. he he's also separated from MJ and his kids, and mm-hmm. he basically treats Spider-Man like an old man going to the gym. He talks about it
2: mm-hmm.
0: because like he's old, he hates it, um, but he has to do it.
1: What's then interesting about this storyline is that like Tony Stark's trying to buy P- you know Parker Industries. He doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to sell it. And then th- this, I think, is like the part where I'm talking about the pace gets a little too quick. Yeah. Because like this issue specifically, I think is a little convoluted. Because then like Harry Osborn comes into play, and then like I forgot what Harry's like motive is, but like he
0: he and Ben he and Doc Ock are basically like, they they capture both Peter and Ben, ben and Riley, they want to the, give
1: the clone of Peter yeah. from the '70s issue.
0: Yes. They want to give Doc Ock a fancy new body. And Doc Ock is basically blackmailing Harry to, like, take one of these clone bodies and put Doc Ock's brain in it. Oh, see, I forgot about that. And
1: that's interesting because then you're bringing in the superior Spider Man storyline. Yeah. So you are, you know, cherry picking these elements from his lore and kind of sprinkling them
0: throughout. It pulls from literally every era of Spider-Man that had happened up until this point. Because you get a lot with like each of these decades, you get like characters that either were introduced in that decade or basically had their big shine in that decade. Because like Mm -hmm. with uh sixties it's Green Goblin, obviously. Um seventies it harkens back to the original clone saga when this like first gets introduced. Mm-hmm. 80s, uh, you get Venom and you get and Craven. Uh, you get Craven, who like had his big heyday in Craven's Last Hunt, which is one of my favorite Spider-Man stories because of mm-hmm. simply because of that image of like Peter getting buried alive and crawling out of the coffin, mm-hmm. and then in the 90s you get a revisit to the Clone Saga while also foreshadowing this like Superior Spider-Man stuff with Doc Ock. Yeah. And then
1: something that happens in this issue is that Harry then reveals that Ben Riley was actually the real Peter Parker, mm-hmm. and the Peter Parker that we've been following this whole time was in fact the clone, which is another element of the clone saga that yeah. does happen in the '90s. The, the, so we're bringing the clone
0: that saga of the '90s is kind of buck wild because it lasted way too long with too many disparate plot elements including, yep. like, multiple times going back and forth of, like, which one was the real body. Well, and they do that here. Because then that's revealed. And then
1: Peter... Because Peter's kind of done living as Peter Parker. Like, you kind of established that at the beginning, is that, like, he doesn't really like running Parker Industries. He doesn't like being Spider-Man anymore. So when it's revealed that, oh, Ben Riley's the real Peter Parker, he gives Ben his life. It's mm-hmm. like, here, Ben... Who is the real Peter? Go ahead and live your life as Peter. I'm giving you your life. I'll live as Ben Riley. But then it's revealed that actually that's not true. That the Peter Parker we've been following this whole time is the real Peter Parker. Yeah. But Harry just said that. So, like, you are playing with this whole, like, oh, he's the clone. No, he's the clown, clone. Like, you play with that back and forth. But it serves a narrative purpose because we see a tired Peter Parker able to give up the
0: mantle of Spider Man
1: to it- Ben Riley.
0: It's great, and yeah. it's sort of capped off with like an epilogue of like Peter visiting an old, decrepit, senile Norman Osborn, yeah. who like he's full goblin at this point, and he's like, "This is yes, this, he remembers everything. Yeah, this is this is my last. This is my last game, Parker." But then yeah. Peter's like, "Harry's dead," and because Harry dies earlier in the issue. Yeah, and you watch him break down. It's. Yeah it's crazy yeah
1: and that's kind of like how they wrap up the the norman osborne story mm-hmm. of in this life story and then we see the end of the issue is peter going back to live with mary jane and his two children and like kind of settling down in life yeah and then we jump to the 2000s which is probably my favorite this in the 60s are probably my favorite issues this is a then, great issue this is yeah i, I like really a great like single
0: issue. story it's yeah Kind of, it's crazy because it touches on an era that of Spider Man that a lot of people like sort of pass over, which is like this early 2000s um, Spider Man ra- written by uh, J. Michael Straczynski, who introduces all this stuff with like an old man named Ezekiel and like Peter Parker being a spider totem of like this multiversal sort of like
1: oh god yeah there's like one there's like
0: one or more people in every universe that like gets spider powers and sort of strings together the web of life and it's this really surreal trippy story and you get the best parts of it i think in this issue you get the coolest villain introduced in this era morlan the energy vampire Mm -hmm. and It's, he's basically, he's, he's a cool ass vampire, like way better than Morbius, I'll say. Okay. Um, and he's basically hunting down everyone with spider powers that currently exists and Mm -hmm. feeding off of them. Yeah. And then
1: at the beginning of the, I completely forgot about that plot point. I'll be honest. But (laughs) what sticks with me is at the beginning, you see that Ben Riley who's been living as Spider-Man, as Peter Parker is killed on national TV yeah. by this uh, this energy vampire. And then that kind of pushes Peter to then step back into the Spider-Man mantle because it's also revealed that he hasn't worn the Spider-Man suit. Like, he is not Spider-Man since he gave up his life to Ben in the 90s except for, <laughs> and this is what I'm talking about, it's revealed that in the aftermath of 9-11, Peter went to New York. And donned the uh, a mask,
0: yeah, and helped.
1: It, it with specifically the, revealed the that, like,
0: he was life. there for Jay Jonah Jameson's funeral, and then nine eleven just happened to coincide with this funeral, and mm-hmm. he was like, "Oh, I'm going to help out." He helped
1: with like cleanup and help save people and stuff like that. But that was the only other time he wore the suit. So this whole Ezekiel is that his name? Ezekiel.
0: Uh, the or vampire oh? is
1: named Morlin. The the vampire's name is Moreland. So it kind of then... You know, Moreland kills Ben. Then Peter needs to step back out into the limelight and actually do stuff as Spider-Man for a little bit.
0: And you get two, like, divergent plot lines here. You get Peter going to New York to take care of all the business and sort of make a public appearance that, like, hey, Peter Parker isn't dead. That was just some stunt we pulled. Um, Mm -hmm. And you also see that Tony Stark is trying to play on a hostile takeover of Parker industries yeah. amidst the backdrop of the superhero civil war. And I forgot, I forgot to
1: mention that, that the civil civil war is happening right now.
0: So we got this story. Got the cap,
1: yeah. The yeah. cap and the Tony, you know, the team cap and the team Tony happening in the backstory, you know, in the background of all
0: of yeah. this as well. And this, I, I think this is, this handles the civil war comic storyline better than the civil war comic itself because it's like really quick and really like to the point and it also sets up tony as secretary of state which yeah. like makes a way it makes a way more logical sense that he would like introduce like the superhuman registration act that and things like this. this yeah it, yeah that's a good point like it him also being could... a
1: bureaucrat, bureaucrat kind of leads into this motivation a little more
0: I want to know what administration Tony was working for, because the Bush administration. Oh my God! It was so
1: clearly the Bush. Administration. It's
0: clearly the Bush administration because or there's Reagan. That scene in and, this universe. Reagan never died. There's that scene where it's like, um, where it's like he's talking with some guy, and they're like, "Oh, we just our forces just captured Daredevil." We're, but here's the bad news: Daredevil's a civil rights lawyer, and he's blind. Yeah, and. Any administration that would get this deep into hot water is probably the Bush administration. The Bush administration. That's funny.
1: Where but was this we also...
0: scene advice?
1: We, we then have Moreland goes and attacks Peter's kids, right? Yes. I'm, I'm like flipping through the pages to make sure I'm not missing anything. But then goes to attack the kids, and then it's revealed that the kids have powers, or one of the kids has powers. I think both of them have powers. Okay, which is kind of a little fun thing, a little fun yeah. side thing that we're exploring. And then, we ju- you know, Defeats Moreland, yeah. and then we jump to the 2010s, where right off the bat, we're introduced to Miles Morales. And it's, you know, Peter's like 80 or 70 at this point, like very old. He's so
0: old. And,
1: yeah, and it makes Miles sense Morales that... is like a teenager.
0: Yeah, and it makes sense that Peter's like training a protege, who yep. also happened to get spider powers in the exact mm-hmm. same way that Peter got them. Yeah. And it ma- it makes total sense. We also al- it... we also get the crazy ass plot revealed that because of like the superhuman civil war, um all the like the the governments of the world were like desperate for just somebody to step up and help them and Doctor Doom steps in. Mm-hmm. and you basically are thrust into like a doom controlled world and peter and miles are like doing a last ditch resistance effort to try and save the world basically yeah cuz
1: isn't it that like do like doctor doom built these things and he's not still in charge but like he still has power yeah. cuz like he helped the government and mm-hmm. now the government's trying to distance themselves from doctor doom but he's got like the whole plot of this issue is that they have to go to space to a Doom space station and deactivate it before mm-hmm. Doom can, like, use it. Yeah. So, that it's... it's We're getting a little more cosmic now. Or, like, you know, he's no, he's clearly no longer the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's doing, no. like, this, these big cosmic things. So, him and Miles go up there, and then we've got two reveals that, A, Craven is alive and is on the space station and has like morphed with the symbiote the black symbiote suit Mm -hmm. so it's like an ultra powerful craven and then it's also revealed that miles morales actually has otto octavius's consciousness in him so we're doing the superior spider-man storyline except it's with miles this time which is actually something that i saw coming like when i first started this issue i predicted that i was oh yeah i wonder i wonder if they'll do that if they'll play with this because well, one sort of the first of things up... Miles say, says doesn't sound right.
0: Yeah, like, it sets up, like, you start to think, like, hey, maybe it's just Chip Zdarsky, like, faltering a little bit and not really knowing how to characterize Miles. Yeah, because
1: he says, like, Mr. Parker or something at yeah. one
0: point. Like,
1: I... little little clues that something's not right. It's like, oh, fuck, we just fell for this man's game. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in a... Old, you know, in a It's interesting because Peter has, like, this internal monologue thing where, like, he has to, like, I don't know what the narrative reasoning for this is, but, like, he has to internalize with Doc Ock. You
0: you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like a crazy, like, it's like a Matrix fight. It's a Matrix fight, basically. Like, they're in the white void. Yeah. And they're fighting each other. And, like, Doc Ock brings all, like, the other old-ass Sinister Six with him. Yep. And you see, like, a very wrinkled-up vulture, yeah. and like, and and they fight. And the way that Peter stops it is, like, is Aunt May. like He, he says, like, remember May. Like, he projects May an image of May, and like, yeah. and basically, he is able to convince Otto to give Miles his body back, mm-hmm. because much like the, the original Superior Spider-Man storyline, there's still a piece of Miles' in that body like there was with a piece of peter
1: yeah
0: um i don't know what miles saw but i sure do know what that peter saw
1: yep he saw some 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 stuff
0: um and the issue ends with basically like miles getting sent back to earth and peter watching this space station blow up so he can save the world and go out swinging
1: yeah so kind of like last time i was on we talked about all-star superman very similar ending in that spider-man needs to sacrifice himself Mm -hmm. to save all of mankind which is a very fitting end for this spider-man so and then you know kind of you know in a quintessential way kind of summarizes who spider-man is as a character yeah like with great power comes great responsibility he must give the ultimate sacrifice for you know to save the world
0: and rather than like ending right there we get a little epilogue with miles who like goes to visit Doc Ock's like decrepit body Mm -hmm. and basically reveals that he's ashamed of everything Otto did while he was in Miles's body, Mm -hmm. which is true to the character of Miles, who like has that heart and would be ashamed for all these things. Mm -hmm. And he goes to MJ and he gets MJ's blessing and the original Spider-Man suit. Yeah. And
1: then, you know, kind of, in the cyclical nature you know now he's these you know now he's the original spider-man and then i feel like it ends with like this vision of peter parker with mary jane
0: yeah like in in his head
1: yeah like in in peter's dead you know in his dead memory or whatever Uh he's living out him and mary jane so a very sweet kind of you know bittersweet ending to it all but very fitting
0: yeah yeah um, so, final thoughts about the story. Like, it touches on every era of Spider-Man. Like, we've it said does. that before. Yeah. And it really cherry-picks everything you want to see and does a spin on it for this, like, era of aging in real time.
1: Yep, yeah, I agree. And, like, for for me, this was, like, the first... I talked about this in the other episode I was on, but this was the first, like, graphic novel I read in like five years or so like this was my reintroduction to graphic novels and this was like a really great jumping in point oh yeah Cause like you do get you know the best hits of spider-man one of my favorite characters and it's a little fast-paced so it's not like you're not going to read this book and be an expert on all things spider-man but it hits it hits the notes and hits the character and it's just a very good like introduction or reintroduction or just summary of the character and, and the I'll- art the art's my favorite thing about this. The the art is like, incredible. The art is. At the is... end, they've got like those titles. Like at the end of the book, they've got like the cover art for it all. And like there's some very minimalistic cover art, but there's also some like really uh like maximalist cover the covers. art. Here the too. covers
0: are the best part of this. Um, and I could I could frame these these covers. Like they're so good. And I think I think it's really fitting that like you couldn't have gotten like you, there are a bunch of great Spider-Man artists still working to this day. Um, mm-hmm. uh, John Romita Jr. is obviously like the big standout that's still alive. But like, in terms of someone who like could really capture every era, Mark Bagley is perfect. Because did he do
1: all the all the he cover did art? all
0: the I don't know if he did all the covers, but he did all like the interior pencils. Uh, and, it looks like a different
1: artist did all the cover, like, the maximalist covers at, yeah. the bo- at the end. It's a different artist each time. Yeah. But I think Mark
0: Bagley did the, the main covers, the minimalist ones that I They're, really, really like. Everything he does is so good. I want to shout out his, um, I, I want to shout out the suits. Because you get a different suit every era. You do. And they, they like, progress in, like, tech level and streamlining the design because uh, you get, like, Peter with the web backpack in the 60s. You get mm-hmm. some crazy spider armor by the 2010s. It's yep. such... A, it, it's, like... It, it sort of just... It makes sense. Like, of course, like, the suit would evo- would age as Peter ages. Mm-hmm.
1: And they're doing, like... It's still the recognizable Spider-Man suit, but it does evolve with time. So, like... In, in one issue specifically, like his, you know, his goggles or whatever have, like, black lining around them now, which is a little new and kind of fits more in line with that superior Spider-Man look. Uh So it's just, it's just really fun to see the evolution of, you know, the outfits throughout the series as well.
0: I think this is a great Spider-Man story that, like, that also serves as, like, a great jumping-on point for Spider-Man readers, like you were saying. Like, it it has this structure to it were like hey did you like this part in the 80s where craven buried peter alive oh there a there was a story in the 80s craven's last hunt that that did this and if mm-hmm. you want to know more about it you can go read that and like it sort of just touches on all the best stories that and helps readers like realize oh you can go to this or you can go to this era you can go yeah oh, I think there is one era it doesn't touch on that I kind of wish it would have. But, mm-hmm. like, I, I like how it does. I wish we could have seen, like, the brand-new-day era of, like, the late aughts and early 2010s of, okay. like, where Peter is back on his own in his 30s. And that's where you get stuff they, like Mr. Negative and They do
1: that, like, soft reboot. Yeah. If I remember correctly, that's where, like, he... Makes a deal with the devil or Mephisto and, like, gives up his married life and goes back to being young again.
0: Yeah. That story itself kind of sucks, but I like what comes out of it. it. And because, like, we get a lot of, like, stuff with... all. It's basically the era that you see in the Spider-Man PS4 game, which is my... Which I think is, like, one of the best, like, definitive eras of Sp- Spider-Man. Spider-Man, like, media. Yeah, Yeah, I In, like, agree. the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, this is a very good
1: story. Um, uh, yeah, I'd recommend it to anyone who loves Spider-Man, period. Anyone like, who wants to get into Spider-Man. Whether you're getting into Spider-Man or, like, you're a huge fan of Spider-Man, like, I think this is very accessible no matter what your, like, knowledge level is. And, like, I think it's just a really enjoyable time.
0: It's it's awesome, yeah. And now we're gonna transition into everyone's favorite segment, which still name tentative. Uh, cast the comic. Cast um, the comic. I want to throw something at you when it comes to like, if you had to see a movie of the of this story. Okay. So, Peter Parker ages in real time.
1: He in does. Yes.
0: My perfect casting for Peter Parker would be all of the previous spider-man actors portraying yeah. like the different eras ages yeah
1: I was thinking that so like what you got like Tom as the high school era and then we got Andrew in the 30s era and then we've got Toby in the 40s like when he's 40 years old is that like the talking? only
0: the only thing I would uh, that that's sort of missing from that is like someone to play old Peter right sure. and I don't know who could play old Peter. Uh, my mind floated Peter Gallagher for a couple minutes before deciding that was a bad idea. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure. Cause
1: you told me to like come with some fan casts in mind and I wasn't thinking of Peter. Gall- I looked up who Peter Gallagher was. That's hilarious from the OC. Yeah. Sandy Cohen. That's hilarious. Um, and I wasn't thinking of like casting, like, Oh, an actor in line with the ages. Okay. So, like, the only actors I thought of for Peter specifically were, I thought Joseph Gordon-Levitt would be a good like thirty-year-old, forty-year-old Peter. Yeah. And then yeah. this is this is kind of doing like what if casting, and I don't think it would actually work. But Leonardo DiCaprio as like a forty, fifty-year-old Peter, I think would be interesting. It kind of gets as as you may know, Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to play Peter Parker in a nineteen
0: nineties James Cameron directed. That's Spider-Man right. Movie. Well this is a fact that I learned um from writer of the X Men Chris Claremont, the one time I had a conversation with him at a con in oh. twenty fifteen. Um it was supposed to be a Leonardo DiCaprio starring Catherine Bigelow directed Spider Man. Oh, that's so interesting. It, so James Cameron
1: was just gonna Yeah, produce...
0: the story the story chris claremont told me was like he he had been brought into a meeting but like he because like he was really confused why he was there because he's the x-men guy and it was like what am i doing here and then james Cameron was like okay i got the i got the craziest idea um we're gonna do a spider-man movie and i'm gonna bring in my 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 protege my my mentee and he brings in catherine bigelow yeah and he like was pushing for her to direct it
1: that's so interesting but why was Chris Claremont there? I were don't know. Do...
0: Oh, okay. Why was Mr. X-Men there? Yeah. Like, were they going to do an MCU back then? I, well, Maybe. I mean, you've seen those memes of, like, the 90s MCU. I kind of would be for that. Yeah. Like, Tom Cruise is Tony Stark, and, like... Yeah, Brad Pitt is Thor. I've seen stuff like that.
1: Oh. Uh. Uh, as for other fan cat, well, who'd you have
0: for Peter? Um, I, I specifically said, like, my my gambit was uh, behind, like, a, using every previous actor who had played Peter. Yeah. I guess for, like, an old Peter, you could use, like, the Spider-Man from the Electric Company in the 70s. Like, Maybe. I forget what his name is, but he, I, I read an article being, like, he was sad that nobody called him about No Way Home.
1: That's so funny. I don't have... The only other characters I had were... And this is always a fan cast, I think, but I think... Brian Cranston would make a great Norman Osborne. Oh my god, yeah. But that's just something I always think. And then I forgot man, I forgot who. But I wanted John Ham in this as somebody, but I don't remember who, who like who I wanted him as. Like, Maybe he I wanted him as Norman Osborne. He
0: he could do Norman, I think. He could do a good Norman. I feel but like those... he could also do like this story's Tony Stark. Like Oh no, that's that's that is who it
1: was. It I wanted him to be Tony Stark, but that's mainly because he I think voices Tony Stark in the Modok series. Oh my god, the Modok series. Yeah. Yeah, so but um, I, yeah, I think him as Tony Stark would be great.
0: I also said um uh for Craven, I said either uh Joe Manganiello or uh Vigo Mortensen. Like I think Oh, Vigo Mortensen. Vigo would, would really really
1: good. Like an
0: older Craven,
1: that'd be great.
0: That that's that's Vigo's game.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great fan casting. I can't think of anybody for, like, Doc Ock.
0: Um, I have in my notes, I have Ian McShane, but... Who's that? I, uh, I don't remember. He was Blackbeard in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, um, the fourth one. Oh, I know who you're talking about. That's the about. only thing I know him from. I'm, He's
1: from American Horror Story. Oh. And Deadwood, I think.
0: Oh, Deadwood.
1: Okay. Maybe. Yeah, I could, I could maybe see him. Um... um
0: I, for, uh, for Miles Warren, I, um, said, uh, Anthony Stewart Head, um, he was, uh, Giles on, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, Just a lot waiting, of things, buddy, I see. like, I think putting him in, like, that role would be, like, such a twist on, like, he's played, like, the mentor role before, uh-huh. but, like, this would make him, like, a full-on creep. I want a John Lithgow as Miles Warren. Oh my God, that would also be kind of awesome. Just because I saw like a clip of Dexter today, and I could oh. see him as um, as him for for Moreland. I put down a Luke Evans. I think that is like a very okay. He's commonly fan cast as Namor. I don't see him as Namor.
1: Yeah, I, I there's a yeah. I don't know,
0: but Cause it's one isn't of those things isn't Namor where like, is okay. supposed to be tangent is for it... yeah go ahead a uh, tangent for a second luke evans is another one of those like generic white man faces that yeah. like cuz i watched eternals today um oh, yeah. and i was telling you before i was telling you earlier today i had a hard time um telling kit harrington and richard madden apart throughout the Assemb- i think richard madden looks just like sebastian stan Yeah. like they look identical yeah they all it's like this this center-on-like-a-character-creator-default-man, and, yeah. like, Kit Harrington and Luke Evans and Richard Madden all look the same. And for me, a viewer, I don't want to see Luke Evans in the MCU that much, because yeah. I'll just get confused. Did you have anybody for Miles Morales? Um, n- I did not. I... if If I had to go with anyone, I would probably say um his voice actor from shameek moore Shameik that's what i'm thinking yes. too yeah yeah because because he's like perfect he's perfect yeah he's perfect yeah
1: um, he fun fact I'm so I learned sad about that he's like starting to age out of the role but yeah shameek moore would be great um i uh i
0: know him from the movie he's in the movie dope oh my god yeah he's he is in dope i love that movie's great dope is awesome
1: yeah and then yeah i get i can't think of anybody else from miles morales i know people like the kid from Stranger Things. I don't... And they fan cast him all the I time. I don't see I it. I don't like
0: that. I would much rather have, like, Shameek. I think Shamik would... Or,
1: like, A Complete Unknown. Yes. Like, I would love to just see, like, A Complete Unknown. Yes. Or, you know, Will Smith's kid.
0: No, not Jaden.
1: know. <laughs> I know. Can don't put Jaden. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, Can you imagine Donald Glover plays him now? Huh. It's too old. It, it'll never happen. He's way
0: too well, old. Donald, Donald is technically already in the MCU as Miles' uncle. I, yeah, he plays his, uh, the Prowler. Yeah. everyone. I You know, I would like to see more of the Prowler. I want to see... Uh, well, that's just well, me wanting to see more of Donald. Um, we'll never see him again. No, we maybe, won't. Maybe. Maybe when we bring in Miles. But I, I think mean, we'll be see a him while. again. Uh, we'll see Donald again on Atlanta Season 3 Atlanta coming out later this three. year.
1: The issue, too, with,
0: like... I don't know what they're gonna do with
1: Miles because I think I think they're gonna to have Tom Holland around for a while. Yeah. And then they're gonna bring in Miles. But the issue too is like Ned from the MCU is like Miles' best friend. Yeah. It's, Not the character of Ned. But it's a copy paste of,
0: of Genki from the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, which, so like just shows that like, oh maybe
1: they won't do Miles for a bit because they're you know, they're they, still using his best friend.
0: They borrowed a lot of like homecoming and far from home Peter from my from Comics Miles. They yeah. like basically put took that personality and gave it to Peter. Which yeah. as much as I would like to see Miles done eventually, we already have the perfect Miles in Spider Verse. And I I don't think anything's gonna top that for me because Yeah
1: that's the issue too, is that Spider Verse too. Spider Verse you know?
0: was so good.
1: Yeah. And Spider Verse Two is coming out. Spider oh Verse God. Two Part One is coming um, out soon.
0: Side tangent: Is there any Spider Man or Spider Person you want to see in Spider Spider Verse Two? Maybe the the actor who played Spider Man in the
1: Japanese TV show.
0: I was gonna say Japanese Spider Man. I was gonna I think say that would be hilarious. I was gonna say Japanese Spider Man with the big ass mech. Yep. If he's with the mech, I forgot about the mech. Like he doesn't have spider powers. He has a mech. And a motorcycle. You, you yeah, want to know I think where that would I be first? Hilarious. It's sad, fun fact about me. You want to know where I first heard about Japanese Spider Man? Where? From reading a copy of Ready Player One. Uh <laughs> because right. horrible fact about me. Um, Ready Player One was my favorite book for about two years. Because you like the eighties.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because you remember the eighties. Hey, remember the eighties? remember weird signs remember the goonies
0: <laughs> my favorite one of my favorite videos of all time it's a great video um sh- shout out um demi adejawebe um master of the, be- one of of the, the best, best videos of all time one of the best out there um he could be miles <laughs>
1: No, he's he's too old. But Put yeah, sure, damn me, he's the, thirty years old. Yeah, he's thirty
0: years old. Whoa, I had no idea. That's crazy. He wrote for the Late Show with James Corden. T- oh boy, did he really? I've yeah. Whoa, whoa, he also wrote for the Good Place. Yeah, he wrote what he wrote. My favorite. He wrote one of my favorite episodes. I didn't know that he was like an established writer. Whoa, that's you crazy. thought he just made YouTube videos? That is what I thought. You you thought he just. Every year he crawled out of his cave and made a video of himself dancing to Earth, Wind, and Fire September. Yes, that's all I thought. That's yeah. hilarious. Um, he hosted one of my favorite podcasts for a while, uh, Punch Up the Jam. Um, Ooh. Which sadly doesn't exist anymore.
1: Ooh, a an new story for the Amber Ruffin show. Yeah. Oh, okay, interesting.
0: Um, I'm gonna, hey, I'm gonna have, Demi, uh, if you ever want to come on the podcast, um, we love you. <laughs> Yeah, come on. Um oh, I have me? one last uh fan cast. Um okay. this is this is specifically for like a younger Gwen Stacy for like the direction I'd hope they do if they want to bring in Gwen Stacy into the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um I want to see Hunter Schafer. Um a uh, star of U- uh, Euphoria. And so I far you
1: for... I don't watch Euphoria.
0: Come on, you got to watch. <laughs> Dude,
1: euphoria. I know nothing about Euphoria. Um, also, a tweet today that was like, "I'm a 26 year old man. I don't watch Euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> I never related to something more. To each their own, I suppose. <laughs> I'll watch the Righteous Gemstones.
0: Oh my God, the Righteous Gemstones. Is season also... two. Season two uh,
1: just came out.
0: Uh oh, God, Danny McBride. Um, not a character in this story. As but Craven. Danny. Mc, Danny McBride would make a great rhino. Yeah, he would. Or a great Craven. Put Danny McBride in anything. Make, make, Adam, Divine,
1: Big Wheel. I would love to see Adam Divine in an MCU movie.
0: I want to see all of the workaholics' boys in the MCU. It'd be good. Uh, you know, this is a great place to end it, with the image of, um, the righteous gemstones in your head. Um, I agree. Thank you, Chonk, for coming back onto the podcast. Um, Of course. Um... This is. I love talking Spider Man. Um, Spider Man is one of those characters that I want to do a lot more about eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for listening, um, and remember, um, the Righteous Gemstones season two is season two out on, on HBO, HBO right now. Seasons
1: <laughs> episodes one and two are on HBO.
0: We're season not sponsored also... by the
1: Righteous Gemstones. No, but I wish I was. are not. So I'm funny. not sponsored. Um Joe Jonas has a surprise cameo in the second episode. What? Oh yes. Goodbye, everybody.
0: <laughs> Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman's theme music was written by Charlotte Rosenthal. Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman is produced by Mythonomica Productions. Thank you for listening.